for any one of us, I think that we have to have the courage to say things that are that people don't want to hear. You can be positive about it, but yeah, I think that's important because we get too um, enamored with leadership, with companies, with politicians, we go on and on that are always telling us what we want to hear. Bad news needs to travel like a, you know, a bullet train. Good news needs to travel like a Model T. Hello, and welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Sook, and today it's my pleasure to introduce Chris Greco. Chris is the president and CEO of Storerize Inc., a technology company specializing in automation software for food retailers, which notably thrived during the pandemic, nearly tripling in growth. His inspiring journey embodies resilience and success evident in his book, Eight Steps to Overcoming Everyday Adversity. With a rich professional background at AT&T, Sprint, and Semantic, Chris's entrepreneurial expertise shines through. Beyond his career, he's a committed athlete residing in the Kansas City area with his family and their beloved rescue dog. Today, we will explore how we can increase our resilience facing adversity in uncertain times. So stay with us. Chris, so it's a pleasure. Thank you for joining to this conversation. Likewise, Karen. Good to be here. And I wanted to start, you know, I love starting with a personal question and to ask you, what is the most challenging decision you had to make in your career? When I arrived at Storewise, the the company, before I, before I came here, the company was a bit of a bind. And we, you know, usually leaders come in and the first thing they look at they look at doing or, you know, or, you know, our layoffs or, but I felt that the, we had a good core group of, you know, teammates and the, the toughest decision I had to go to do in my career was actually within 90 days after starting as the new CEO to come in and say, look to the board that we got to cut our forecast in half and we're likely got to, we, and we, we have to go ahead and, and, rec- and recruit which may drive a trip, some some voluntary attrition. I didn't want to do involuntary. I want to do voluntary attrition. So think about it. All these you have all these investors that are that were told, hey, we will be generating X amount of revenue in in twelve months. And I basically came in and said, we're going to have to cut that expectation in half. And so to tell you know four board members that they are all invested into the company as a first time CEO um, wasn't easy. Um, but it was the right thing to do because it set expectations that allowed us to to operate in reality uh, on what our forecast and what our uh, what our actual revenue is going to be. So you actually needed to be bold in order to do that, right? To confront them and talk your truth. It sounds like well, yeah. That. And I, I I never had. It's the first piece of news I gave to the board, mm-hmm. right? And there's CEOs out there who'll say, oh, well, that's not that hard. It, it, it is hard because even though you're not saying, hey, we need to go ahead and cut, you know, cut the number of employees that drive layoffs, it means that uh, in order to go ahead and get better, we're going to have to go ahead and recruit. So we're going to have to cut the forecast and you're going to have to go and spend money. That's going to increase our cash burn. So what do you have to do? Then we have to go raise money. Mm-hmm. They already invested three times. This would be their fourth round. The fourth time they had to put money into the company. So look, it's 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 not easy, but look, it worked out. 
you know, fast forward, you know, three years later, we turned the company around. We took on a mate, we took on private equity as a major investor. Um, our growth over the last uh, two years has been over 180%. Uh, 70% of the uh, our, our teammates are, are relatively new uh, to the company. So we've been able to, to recruit. You know, you never know how things are going to go, but it was the right decision uh, at the time. Yeah, but I think it's, as you said, it was the right decision, but you needed to have courage to confront them and not to please, you know, like at the beginning, showing up fully with what you believe in and going forward with it. And this is really challenging because a lot of people. Yeah. yeah, I did get a comment from one of the, you know, one of the board members, you know, recently he's like, you know, he says, Greco, the thing, the person that you're not, you're not, what you're not a pleaser. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that, on a personal level, for any one of us, I think that we have to have the courage, you know, to say things that are that people don't want to hear. You have to say no, say things we want to hear, and you can be positive about it. But yeah, I think that's that's an important it's important because we get we get too um, enamored with with leadership, with companies, with politicians. We go on and on that are always telling us what we want to hear. You know, like I always say, like bad news needs to travel like a like a you know a bullet train. You know, good news needs to travel like a Model T. That, that's that's what's important. I couldn't agree more, and I, you know, I can relate with it because I think yes, a lot of people are pleasing others but not telling the truth. And you know, it's funny because today I gave a talk about mindfulness and how we can navigate our lives and our employees and our leaders and our businesses. And one of them told me, look, but when we are mindful. If I don't feel comfortable the right time to do what others do, you know, they don't like how the way I act, what should I do? It will make unpleasant feelings. And I said, yes, but this is, what does it mean about being mindful? You need to speak your truth. Yep. You need to show up fully. And sometimes you won't please others. That's okay. But you need to respect yep. yourself and what you believe in and then be authentic yep. with it. A lot of people are struggling in this area of showing up fully and having the courage to say what they well, I, th- I think there's false there's false expectations, right? When you when you look at so- social media, I mean, I just was at a a presentation and the suicide rate for eighteen and twenty six year old American men has nearly doubled. Maybe it was the last three years, or I, it could be longer. But the point was is that the speaker showed a graph of social media use, and social media is, presents a false narrative, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, the, I, I, I have a personal story where I was, you know, I was watching a, a couple, they were celebrating, you know, every week they had a new post. They were, they were traveling here. They were doing this. One of them calls me just two weeks ago. If I told you the, 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 the call was they were very surprising because on social media, everything was going well. And he was literally depressed. Hmm. He's literally depressed. So I think that the the false narrative is very, very dangerous. And it goes back to our earlier, you know, the how we started this conversation, that you have to be comfortable being, you know, telling, you know, telling it how it is. You know, that that's I think that's critical. Yes, because then you live in alignment with yourself and your well-being will increase. Otherwise, you you're having a big gap between the truth self and what people are expecting from you and you're getting uh, disconnected from yourself and then you can lose yourself and be depressed. And I think this is a crucial, crucial element in order to show up fully and to increase our well-being and also our productivity and much yep. more beyond this. And it takes me to the other question that I wanted to ask you into the resilient aspect, because, you know, I understand from your story and I'll be happy to hear you had a challenge in childhood, right? You lost a parent. And I wanted to ask you, 
how did you cope, you know, in hindsight, as a child with this adversity? How do you see some people that overcome adversity while others get beaten by it? So I think it's part of being connected to ourselves, but I'll be happy to hear your thoughts yeah. about it. Yeah. So it was my father. I was 15 years old and I was, I was home when he passed away. He had a esophageal uh, cancer. My brother was 11. My sister was four years old. So we were, you know, we were a young, a young family. And, you know, I would just say there's, you know, going back to our earlier conversations around setting expectations and people are going to be, are going to be surprised by this. But my mother told me he passed away in September. She told me around March or April that he says, Hey, you know, dad won't be around at Christmas. And so my mom was, is a, she's still alive, is a realist. And she was really very direct with me. I was the oldest. And I don't know if that helped, that might've helped me kind of level set. And, and so when it did come it, it, it you know, I was, I was prepared for it, but you're never prepared for you're not prepared for for anyone to to die around you. Uh, no matter, you know, I'm not going to be prepared when my mother passed. She's eighty. She's eighty five right now, right? That, that'll that'll be very hard. But I think the way we de- dealt with it is that we had a very strong leader in my mother. That was she. She's super, you know, uh, strong. She, you know, kept us together as a family. She basically said, "Hey, you know, this is what we have to do to to make it, and we have to, you know, we have to work together." And I think that she really, you know, she really instilled that that resilience in me that prepared me for other stages in life, uh, including, you know, running this company. Uh, early stage companies are very, very hard. Uh, and I think that yeah, for anybody recruiting a CEO for any early stage company that's going to deal with setbacks, you know, cash issues, um, hiring and firing decisions, product investment decisions, you know, customer onboarding, I can go on and on. I think resilience needs to be a top three quality for that CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, I'm really blessed by having a mother that instilled that, uh, that in me at a very, very early age. So Chris, we actually also published your book about the, right? The eight. Eight, eight steps to overcoming everyday adversity. Yeah. The title's a bit long. It's my first, I probably would have chosen a short, a short, shorter title, but look, it was my first book. So I hope your, your listeners will give me a, a little bit of runway on that. For sure. So can you tell us a little bit what are these key steps that helps you increase resilience? What the best keys that works for you and what do you offer other people to embrace yeah. in order to, you know, we are also, as you know, we're in the midst of in the Middle East and currently in a facing really an incredibly difficult circumstances with many lives lost, loved, loved ones taken and the state of war. So people are really grappling with profound loss and suffering. So I think it's really relevant. Yeah. We, talk, we talked about it in the beginning of our podcast. So I'd be happy yeah. to, to learn from your expertise. And I understand you have a lot of it. What guidance would you give leaders and employees for navigating their coping with this extraordinary challenging times and what works for you, you know? And Yep. Well, I look iron sharpens iron, right? So you, so except, you know, I won't go through all eight steps, but the, the ones that I, that are just, I'm very mindful of is, is number one, affirm you're not a victim. I say that with great empathy because the situation, you know, Karen is, is horrific. And I really don't have a, a lesson there for something that I have, you know, zero uh, familiarity uh, with. So, I would only, you know, offer that I, I pray for every everyone who's gone through that, everyone in Israel, and that, and that's actually one of my steps. Is that prayer is the gateway between panic and peace? 
and no matter what uh, you're going through, I think that people overlook the power of prayer. And I know we've gotten less, you know, less religious. Uh, we moved away from God as a, you know, as a society. Uh, it's not just in in our country. It's 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 nearly nearly everywhere. But I know that how much it has really helped me. I would also also offer up that uh, help the person next to you. When you you know one great way of coming overcoming your own adversity is helping the person right you know right next to you. Well, when you help someone that helps you with your own you know personal struggle because it really shows that rightfully so you have you can add value. You you have something very very meaningful to offer uh, to the world. Uh, develop a self sufficient mindset. The ability to take on more more stuff on on your own, but don't be afraid to to ask for help. We all need we all need it. So those those are those are four of the eight you know of the eight steps um, that I talk about you know in my book. What was that? The last one before the ask for help. I missed it. Deve- de- de- develop a self sufficient mindset. So it's about resilience, right? Okay. The idea of self sufficiency. So when you approach something, um, when you when you when you when you get hit. Is your response, is it an open hand or is it a fist? And people are, for me, it's a fist. You want to, you, you want to fight. You want to be, you, you want to fight through it. You know, I, I read, there's a, there's a good book called um, Hard Things About Hard Things. And it's written by Ben Horowitz. And it's in, in Ben Horowitz of Andreessen Horowitz. Andreessen Horowitz is one of the largest venture capitalists in, in the world. You know, they, they're, you know, based in Silicon Valley, and he speaks to the concept of wartime versus peacetime CEO. And when you're in early stage, you are wartime all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have the luxury of, of you know, of uh, operating like a, a Google or an IBM or an Amazon. Those companies, you know, that they can choose to, you know, offboard businesses or close down. You, you can't. You, you, it, is, it is about survival. Um, and I think that, you know, when you think about, you know, needing to be, you know, when I go back to talking about resiliency is being resilient as a CEO, that's a, that's a top quality because there's things that surprise you all the time. And the, the concept of a, a, a wartime, uh, having a wartime mentality where you're, you know, you're, you're paranoid, you have appreciation for, you know, how hard things can be, you, you know, when things don't go your way, you, you're able to deal with them, you know, quickly. Um, and then also you celebrate your victories and your wins, uh, which, which if you're doing things right, you will have, you will have many. Can you give us an example of, as a CEO, as a time that you really had challenge and how your resilience helped you overcome it, this challenge? When we launched our core values, so you see, you know, love the independence back here. That's our number one core value. The we Storewise only builds software for uh, independent food retailers. So these are your neighborhood supermarkets. I don't want, you know, I don't believe that consumers should only have, you know, Amazon, Whole Foods, Walmart, Aldi, Trader Joe's as a as a choice. I think the neighborhood grocer, the backbones to communities, um, they're the ones sponsoring your the baseball, kids' baseball and soccer teams. They're important. So we build technology to help them survive uh, and thrive. And so when we launched our core values, so we have three, love the independence. That's who we serve. Embrace the struggle. We know that their business is hard. Their margins are thin. So and building an early stage software company is hard. So embrace struggle and then and then win together. Like the the the, the concept of that we're all you know we're in this together and that we can't have you can't win at the expense of somebody you know at somebody else whether it's a teammate 
you know, our customers. So when we launched those core values, I remember, I remember it was during an all hands with the, with the entire company and I was writing them on the whiteboard and you literally, I was literally, you can look back and I see the, can see the eyes of folks who were like, yeah, this is just, this is not for me. We had several people, we were a small company. I think we were 25 at the time resigned. Really? What does it mean? It's not for them, the values? It was a peacetime growth. Wasn't a focus with my, with the, before I came in, it was let's build great technology and keep building, building, building. Mm-hmm. At some time you, you got, you got to sell something mm-hmm. and you have to focus on, on, you know, driving value uh, and, and driving value for a product is based on somebody opening up their checkbook and paying for it. Mm-hmm. Period. Just because you think it's valuable is meaningless. The consumer, the market must say it's valuable based on monetizing that 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 product that you're that you're selling. So, I think when they saw the the, the core values, and then, and then we had aspirational values like own it, um, success is merit based, sprint to the explosion. Those were our aspiration about what we need to become. Mm-hmm. Right? People would say, you know what? I'm working. You know. 30, 40 hours a week. I leave right at, you know, right at 4 30, 5 o'clock. I don't think about the, you know, this environment, you know, after hours at all. That might not be for them. It, it's rare for an early stage company to operate like that. So people voluntarily opted out. But what it did, what it did, it recru- it, it attracted mm-hmm. new, new people like my VP of finance and operations, like my chief revenue officer, like my head of customer success. It recruited leaders. Mm-hmm. Who said, "Wow, this stands for something." Look, we we spend you know at least 40, 50, 60 hours a week working right at at our at our jobs. It better be meaningful. Mm-hmm. It better be it better mean for something. And if it's not, you, I, I mean, at least for me, I wouldn't be. I, I I wouldn't wake up and do it to to leave my wife and two kids every morning, and you know, and and sometimes missing. Maybe a parent teacher. It doesn't happen often, but I do miss parent teacher conferences. I, you know, just travel. It better stand for something. And I think that I think that before we introduce those core values, before we change the brand to store wise, mm-hmm. um, I think people were kind of operating with a different, with a peacetime, a peacetime mindset, just going along, applying J E E E, just enough effort. So I, I really love what you said because it comes, it circles back to the beginning of our conversation because at the end of the day, what you did, you actually was authentic with your values and you created alignment. And this, I think it's a good thing because once you show up fully and authentic and said what's important for you and what's the value of the company, people who want align left. And, you know, I think people, it reminds me of a conversation that I have sometimes that it's okay that people are living. We don't need to be attached to everybody. Not everybody is a good fit for the company. The company changes. Exactly. Not changing. Exactly. Learn to let go, right? To be in alignment. Otherwise, yep. we won't go forward. Yep, that's exactly right. And and look at the at the end of the day, it doesn't mean they can add value somewhere else just because they're not, they're they're not a fit at store wise. They're probably a great fit somewhere else. It's just not not here. I, I wish, and I'm not saying I was operated like this, but. Self-doubt is very expensive mm-hmm. because it causes you to not take bets, not, you know, you, you, you're, you're adverse to risk and it limits your potential. Mm-hmm. And um, I would think that, you know, we, some, some of the people I thought that the left were, you know, were very good. And 
I would have loved to have them like lean in. They would have had a lot of value, but I set that expectation that it's going to be hard for hard for a while, Mm -hmm. right? Do we have to get to a certain point as a company, you know, we're generating enough revenue to carry the business where, you know, we have a good roadmap. We have a good pipeline of customers. We we're, we're able to go ahead and invest in the innovation that is needed in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it wasn't at that time. And so um, look, the people that came in that are, you know, with us now, you know, are really in it and they're in it. They have a sense of purpose. They understand the mission. And I would say that we're all pretty much aligned. We're, we're not, we're far from perfect, but, are we better than we were yesterday? Absolutely. So I think it's really, really a crucial thing as I work with leaders and managers. Sometimes we take it really personally when people are leaving us. You know, it's like maybe my friend, my girlfriend left me when I was young and we, we're taking it really bad and emotionally. And I think it's part of the process, understanding that we need to let go and sometimes pause be mindful to our new values because they are changing because we continue continuously changing and creating yep. a life. Then we can have the leap together. Otherwise, we're dragging people with us that are not in good uh, alignment, don't bring value, and they are not pleased because you know they are not in the right spot, right? So yep, totally agree. And another thing that you said that I really loved is I say it's need to be meaningful. It's we need to understand our why to to be connected to the broader picture and there to talk it and also create transparent communication because you said, yes, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. Then the right people are staying and some of them are leaving and that's okay. But so what I think from you as a CEO is really to be transparent, to communicate transparently and frankly what's happening and not sugarcoat things that you want people not to see because at the end of the day, they will fill the gap and they will live in an unpleasant ways. You want to avoid surprises. You want to avoid surprises. In a paradoxical way, you're much more in control when you are really communicating with people the truth, right? Because you understand each and every one is in the space and some of them good fit and some of them not. I really connected to this and the ability to to communicate it. and, And again, it circles back to show up fully and authentic and to dare to say what we think, even if people don't like it. I, and I feel it's a really crucial quality that we people need to embrace nowadays. In order to be innovative and creative, we need to dare, dare to not know always the answers and to listen to each other, frankly, to the yeah. thoughts and uh, ways of different viewpoints. Otherwise, we won't be able to move forward and to be in the cutting edge because we'll make more of the same and yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I, um, I do check-ins with, uh, with some of our customers, and, and uh, <laughs> it was a year ago where one of our, one of our customers, like, hey, I don't know if your team has told you this, but this feature, it, it's fallen short. It doesn't work for us, you know. And it, he was, I had to pull, pull more out of my customers. Say, look, that led to other, other issues, right? And you know, I brought that back to the team. You know, in, in all hands, not in a not criticizing them, rather, guys, what an opportunity we have that instead of this customer saying, you know, cancel this feature, I'm no longer going to pay for it. He gave us the feedback of saying it needs to improve and here's what's needed. Right. And the team, the, the team took it seriously. You know, I noticed, you know, people staying late that evening um, talking about it there was communication back to me saying, Hey, this is going to be, this is going to be improved. 
you know, by this date. And I think it was, it was healthy. Um, the fact that we we're very transparent about it, as transparent about us as a CEO, um, I think that just engenders trust and, and, you know, and it matters and you, and you can't come down on your, you know, people for making mistakes, but you have to, you, you have to communicate it when the times they're doing things great and other times where there needs to be improvement. And I always, always tell my team, I said, where can I improve? Look, I'm a first time flawed CEO. Mm -hmm. Like the mistake I made last week, I'm going to make more of them. I'm going to get better. I'm going to learn from them. But you got to you got to be able to you know give me feedback on areas I need to improve as well. And I think that I think that speaks to the you know how we're progressing as a company. Well, sure, because first of all, you're humble. You say, okay, I'm a human being, not right? I'm a CEO, but I'm learning through the process and I'm also making mistakes. Actually, you give legitimation for your employees to make mistakes because if you wouldn't have embraced it, they would have there to make mistakes, right? So in innovation, yeah. creativity, it's part of the process. You can't be innovative and creative and go forward without mistakes. So I think this is a crucial yeah. element. And you know what comes back to me to, to the what you said about being a victim? I, I think it's also connected because, you know, when you come and give a feedback to your, your team or your, or your employees, if they take it as a personal blame and starting to be, be offended from it, they won't be able to overcome it and to take it yep. forward and to learn from it. And this is taken the other way that we want. But if we can embrace the feedback and understand that it's not personal, also sometimes, okay, it's personally, but I have something to learn and grow from it, then it increases my resilience and then I can really be agile and make different things and learn and go forward. And I think this yep. is actually, again, quality that we need to embrace nowadays. Everything you said is spot on, Karen. Everything you said. I want you to, uh, to ask you, um, first of all, I'm curious. They told me to ask you, what is your favorite Bible passage? passage? <laughs> Do you remember? It um, came it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah it's, uh, there's, there's, there's several, but the one that, um, that is just, uh, I think is the best one for me is uh, Romans 12, 12. So it's rejoice in hope, endure in affliction, and persevere through prayer. Hmm. Romans, yeah, it's... Uh, I love that's one of my favorite books uh, in the you know in, you know in, in the Bible. Uh, Proverbs is always good too. Iron sharpens iron. Uh, there's yeah. Jeremiah 16. God, you know, you understand God has a plan for us. So, so I don't hear from you. You really believe in embracing, also being appreciative to what's happening, to the good things, and also giving them place, right? Yeah. The blessings that we have. Yep, yeah. you got to really you know, seek out and, and, you know, understand the ways you're, you're blessed. And, you know, my, my mother always told me like the, you know, God wouldn't put, you know, challenges and adversity in front of you if he didn't believe that you couldn't handle it. That was a very powerful, you know, lesson for me because look, I've, I've done, woe is me. I'm a, I'm a victim. You can, you could easily step back, sink back into that unproductive mindset is that, you know, to say you're it just, you, you, nothing comes from it. So you have this, you know, problem in front of you. You're more capable than you think in, in solving for it. And actually find the strength within you, how you can go forward and what can you learn from it, right? Instead of being a victim. Yes. And I think I, I want to say something. I think it's really important that when we're in adversity and challenging time and like now that we're going through, I encourage people to feel their feeling, the, the sadness, to cry, to let it out, to... Yes, to be connected with it because at the end of the day, yes, emotion is emotion. And once we make it it's stuck in our body, 
at the end of the day, we decrease our resilience and will manage us. And part of the process, you know, Dr. John Kabazin said, you can't control the wave, but you can learn to surf. And I think part yeah. of being there is increasing our resilience is the being able to learn to surf and learn to surf as human beings to surf with our emotions, yeah. feelings, and unpleasant one, but to let them be, and then they can transform and we create more space for another emotion. So it's like paradoxical yeah. viewpoint, right? Holding yeah. all of them together. Yep, 100%, 100% agree, Kara, with everything you just said. Chris, before we wrap up, uh, you gave a lot of tips to our listeners and leaders. Is there any something that I, anything that I didn't ask that you want to share or think that you want to... I think you covered, you know, everything. I, I, you know, I would just say is that people are much more capable than what they what they think. They are much more capable of what they think, and you know, it, to to sacrifice, you know, to give less than your full potential is giving away the gift. Hmm. Amazing. Right. So I had to get, I had to think, I had to think through that. I had a lot of different quotes going through my head, but it's true. I mean, we have, we all have so much potential, and it's and the thing that that always disappoint. So I shouldn't say disappoints me, but I want to see more of it happen. I want to see more people reach it because so few realize how far they can go. And uh, I hope that, you know, I, I'm, that all of us at Storewise feel that they're, you know, exceeding uh, their own expectations of themselves. Amazing. I believe that each and every one of us has a present to bring to the world. And when we fulfilling our potential, we bring in this present, right? And this is added value to the community, to our business, yeah. to the world. And yeah. we need to be resilient in order to make it happen because there's challenges along the way. It won't be always easy, right? But we need to yeah. be able to do it. Yeah, 100% agree. If uh, people want to find your book and uh, find you, where can they find it? Actually, Google. If you if you search eight steps, uh, eight steps adversity, my book will come up probably at the top maybe second to the top, but it'll, it'll, it'll come up. It's on amazon.com. It's, it's doing well. If they want to get in touch with me, they can go to my website, uh, christophergreco.org. Uh, that's christophergreco.org. And I'll say this for the first three listeners that actually reach out to me, I'll send them a free uh, signed copy of my book to wherever they are in the world. Great. That's really generous for you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Chris, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and experience with us. Yeah, thank you, Karen. Great. You're, 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 you're a great interviewer. I really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.